And welcome back to Generally Speaking About the Church. My name is Cliff Ravenscraft, and this is a podcast production of the Generally Speaking Podcast Network. Now, I'm coming to you with part four and what will now be the final part of this series I've been titled, that I have titled, uh, Why I Hate the Church. And of course, if you're wondering what in the world is up with that title, why would Cliff title a podcast series, Why I Hate the Church? I very much encourage you, as I have done in each of these episodes, to go back to part one of this series, and uh, you will get a very clear understanding of why I titled this podcast series the way that I have. Now, um, this has been a series that has been focused on my journey of exploration of the book Revolution by George Barna. Now, I will tell you that I have not been thoroughly impressed with this book. In fact, I have completed the book since I last podcasted on, uh, on the issues of the book. However, I will say there is a lot of great insight and information for people who have not experienced the movement of the Holy Spirit in such a way that it's called you to a much deeper, richer faith and to have much less dependence on programs and and the physical premises called the church campus uh, in, in your spiritual formation. Now, um, basically what I want to do is just t- tell you where I've been since uh, I pa- podcasted on part three on this. And that is the fact that I have recently done something that is part of an experiment to see how I would feel after doing something very different. And that is, I've taken the last couple weeks off of attending our local church, with the exception of one week when I actually did go. And um, how it worked out is we took one week off, and then we went back the next week. And what happened that week was really weird. I found myself extremely bored and I I realized at that point that there had been many Sundays Sunday actually multitudes of Sundays where literally I was only there because that's what I had always done and it's not because of this overwhelming sense that I'm meeting God in this place in fact it's been a very long time uh, since a, during a worship service that I've actually felt the physical presence of God. Now, I've, I've felt his presence and worshiped in his presence outside of the worship services uh, many times, but, but, but the service itself has not been an experience, and it's not, it is not due to a lack of preaching style or content in messages. In fact, um, over the past couple weeks, 
Um, our pastor has pa- preached some sermons that are just uh, phenomenal uh, and, and have been very, very good as far as the content and the delivery. And, and not that I'm a sermon critic by any stretch of the imagination, uh, but, but they have been very poignant and uh, purpose-driven. No, I, 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 I try not to use those words anymore. I, Rick Warren has destroyed the, the term purpose-driven for me forever. Um, anyway, what I'm trying to get at is that he, he's, he, the sermons have been great. Let's just put it that way. And it's not that the music hasn't been great. I mean, the music is just like, it's music. It's worship music, but um, I, you know, it's not my style of music, and and not that I'm. One of the things that I've always complained about is the fact that we have such consumer-driven churches, and I've always been afraid to express the fact that that the music in church just is not very appealing most of the time because I'm afraid that I've become one of those consumers. And, and when I read this book by George Barna, I, I'm sitting here thinking to myself, boy, these, these seem like a bunch of selfish, um, uh, very consumer-driven people, that, these revolutionaries. And, and, you know, they just seem, you know, that, that they have their own interest at heart. And I don't think that's really what George Barna is getting at. Now, that could be true of me sometimes. And, well, okay, could be. Let's be honest. It is true of me sometimes. And, um, but, but there, there is a genuine, there is a genuine distaste for the ho-hum routine that just takes place every single, I mean, it is, there is nothing different. There is nothing new. There is nothing that screams out to me the awe-inspiring presence of God when every single week it's the same thing over and over again. And I, I hesitate to share these words because I know some people from our church listen to this. And and somebody that I care about very deeply is 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 our worship leader. And and I I you know, I, I, I say these words and and you know, I, I pray to God that he would not be offended, but it, it it's just something it, it it's not the music. It's not the it, it's the it is the it's the institution of of doing the same thing over and over and over and over again. And I'm not even talking about just the music. I'm talking about it's we we come, we uh, basically have a few minutes to fellowship with one another and interact as a community uh, briefly while everybody rushes to get their coffee. Um, I remember when the coffee was new and exciting, but it's the it now it's become pretty routine and and then of course um, the the music starts playing. You get about two or three songs. Then uh, somebody stands up and says, "Welcome to the service." And then they say, "Go and shake somebody's hand that you don't know." And then you do that. And then there's maybe one more song, or or maybe just after that there's a video, or maybe after that the preaching starts. And and you know it it it's you you sit there and you do the same thing over and over again and. And communion's never done in a different way. It's always come forward and take partake of the bread, and 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 it it always comes at the same place in the in in the gathering, and and you always it it's just the same all the time. There's nothing new, and so I found myself when I took the first week off, and then I went back the second week. Hold on one second. I'm gonna turn my headphones up. That's better. So when I took that first week off, um, 
I felt kind of weird not going to church. But then when I took when I went back the next week, I found myself bored. And not just bored, but but just like this is the same thing. It's over and over again. And anyway, I I just couldn't handle it. So I actually walked out of the service. Um and and I went off and I prayed and I thought and I I'm sitting there saying, "God, what what is it that you're trying to tell me through this journey? This this thing that's going on in my head why why am i investigating this so much and then what happened is we took the following sunday off and we took the following sunday off and then we took this past sunday off and it has been amazing how how much has gone through my mind such as you know i shared in my last podcast am, am i backsliding am i is is it because I don't have this connection to God. And it's like, no, I feel I feel very connected to God. Uh, in fact, I find myself more relaxed, um, you know, and this past Sunday I did something that was unique. I felt awful that my kids were not going to Sunday school. So I had taken uh, my daughter's Bible that she got for, or for her birthday, and um, I got out some construction paper. And I told them the story of Jesus' birth, and I explained to them, you know, all kinds of things about Caesar Augustus and why he would have everybody go back to where they came from and to put their name on a list. And, and, it's, and, and I came up with creative ways for that, them to, get re, to, to be able to remember the specific details of, those, of that story. And I told them specifically about um, the shepherds in the field and the angel that came and then the host of angels and the message and where, you know, where they decided to go afterwards. And, and we sat down and I had them draw a picture. And now what I did is I already drew a picture of some sheep and some shepherds in a field uh, represented by a line, kind of like the Microsoft background little thing. Robert Johnson, my friend, calls it the tubby t- Tully Tubby Hill. Um, anyway... I had I and then I drew some angels like stick finger angels because I can't really draw that much better than that. So I drew some stick finger angels and I had this little scene that I wanted that I thought would perfectly depict and re, and help them to remember what would happen. And I told them the story, um, gave them some very unique ways of remembering the the details. You know, my four my five year old son can tell you if you asked him. Um, why did they go, have to go to Bethlehem? And he would tell you that they had to go put their name on the list. And you can ask him, well, who, who made them do that? And he would say Caesar Augustus. And the way that he remembers that is because Caesar is another name for king. And he remembers it was a king. So he's now re- equated Caesar with king. And Augustus, we, you know, my why I explained to them that mommy's birthday is in August. And it's just like August. Instead, it's Augustus. And so he now knows Caesar Augustus. So I came up with these creative ways to teach my children, you know, something that would be similar to what they might pick up at, you know, Sunday school class. And that was my desire to to be able to share my faith and to share this with them in a unique way that would impact their memory. And and not only that, but I did some specific things such as um, they're used to coloring with lots of crayons and having all kinds of things to be creative and and I limited each of them to a black crayon and a single sheet of 
uh, of a blue cardboard paper or construction paper. And they asked, well, why can't we have other colors? And I, and I said, I'll explain that to them later. And so what I did is after they, I had them actually kind of follow my instructions to kind of recreate the picture that I had drawn. When they were finished, we hung them up on the, on the door in our kitchen and each of the children have their, their photo or their, their portrait of that scene from the Bible up on the, on the door. And so I asked them to explain to me what that picture is and, and to, to retell me the story. And, and I asked them some questions and, and they answered everything beautifully. And I said, now I want to answer your question on why it is that you only got to use the one piece of paper that daddy gave you and only one crayon. And I said, it's because I just want you to understand that sometimes it's easy to just use what you are given to share your faith in the story about Jesus with other people. You don't always have to have lots of extra things. Sometimes you can you can actually tell people about Jesus with just a black crayon and a piece of paper. And I think that that kind of drove home. Now, here's the thing. I know for a fact that I should be doing things like this on a consistent, regular basis with my children. And the fact that I have not been doing this is 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 awful, and I confess it to be sin because I think it's my responsibility as a parent to be able to ex- express and share my faith with my children in this way. But I ask myself, why haven't I done this up to this point? And I, I hate to do this because people are going to think, well, Cliff, you're just pointing fingers and blaming other people to, to shun the responsibility of guilt and uh, that belongs to you and solely to you for not doing this up to this point. The fact is, is that my children have been going to Sunday school classes where they have teachers who have curriculum that have been teaching my children week after week about Jesus in very creative uh, and engaging ways. And I will tell you that the programming for children in our church is fabulous absolutely fabulous. The problem, however, and it's my problem, not the church's problem. My problem is that I have allowed that responsibility to be carried out by the Sunday school teachers in my church. That is not a problem within the church. Um, I, I think, however, that just by looking at other people, I see this happen very often. Now, I, I don't think that that's a reason to leave the church, but I will tell you that it was the fact that I am still very much sincere in my faith and devotion to God, and I am very serious about my responsibility as a father to make sure that my children learn about and understand who God is and, 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 and what the Word of God says about uh, Jesus and faith and the church and, <clears throat> and life and how we should live our lives, and what God desires from us, what happened was, when I removed the institution, I immediately felt the vacuum of the Sunday school class, and I said, I cannot allow my my decision to try this skipping church every now and then to affect their ability to hear about and learn about God. And so, when I removed the weekly attendance at church, I immediately felt the urge and, and the compelling movement of the Spirit 
to say, hey, Cliff, you need to make sure that they're still getting this information, that they're still getting this influence, this worldview that, that is very important because they're in public school and they're not going to get it there. And so the, the thing is, is I don't think that Sunday school bad is bad. I don't think that the church is bad. In fact, um, I don't have any plans on dropping out of the church at this point in my, in my life. <clears throat> However, it was fun uh, to kind of see how my own feelings, my, whether or not I experienced guilt, which there was a little bit that came along with this. And there was a little um, concern about what other people might think. Uh, and then, of course, there was the really, the, the very real confrontation that was experienced by myself, by uh, an individual that shall remain nameless. But somebody that says, I didn't see you at church Sunday. Were you were there? Were you there? And I'm like, no. Oh, okay. Why not? And I we just took the week off. And so that week went by. And then the next week came and they said, you know, hey, I didn't see you at church. Were you there? No. Why not? And we just decided not to go. Is everything okay? They asked. Yeah, pretty, pretty good. And, uh, they said, well, why aren't you going to church? And I said, well, just, we just decided to take a couple weeks off. Are you going to quit? Quit what? Going to church. I said, you mean hanging out with other Christians? No, I mean going to the place. Are you going to quit going to the, the church services altogether? It's like, well, no, I don't think so. I'm just not going for a while just because I, I decided to take a couple days, off, a couple weeks off and see how it goes. Well, don't you feel like you're missing out on something? And and so I started to get this response from somebody um, that kind of basically led to this point where they said, you know, if you don't go to church on Sunday, you're not really doing what God wants you to do. You are you you must have some kind of issue or problem. Um, it, it was kind of insinuate this person was insinuating that the fact that I might consider not going to church a couple weeks in a row perhaps means that I'm involved in some kind of sinful, um, embarrassing act that has caused me to slip away and therefore uh, something must be terribly wrong or that I'm going to turn to the ways of the world and I'm going to lose my faith altogether. And this person went on to say uh, how when they don't go to church on Sunday that it, they don't get the energy they need to make it through the week which which to me talks about the problem of the church when you go to church when you go to this building on a weekly basis and and then just in the same way I send my kids to Sunday school I don't feel any responsibility to personally take that on myself because the the church is wonderfully taking care of it uh, on Sunday when I should be doing it daily uh, the same thing happens when I should be doing things uh, engaging in spirit, spiritual activities such as prayer and fasting and reading God's word and and all these other spiritual disciplines of giving and serving. When I'm supposed to be doing those on a daily basis, if if I go to church on Sunday and that can make me feel good enough, then I really don't. I I feel sometimes that I can get away with not doing those th other things on the rest of the week. As long as I go to church on Sunday and I get energized, I should have enough kind of God time to to make it through the week and and that's kind of the impression that I got from this individual and 
And, and, you know, I, I wonder how many times I've fallen into that trap myself. And so I can see how the church, at least, and it's not necessarily the institution that's brought this upon it, uh, upon us, but, um, the, these are things that have been our own self-discipline issues that we've kind of, uh, run into and and the church makes it easy for us the institution of the church makes it easy for us to overlook those things and sometimes when we get involved in a ministry where the preaching team seems to be all grace driven and practical how to's of living a more comfortable life sometimes we overlook the fact that you know we're not serving daily we're not praying daily we're not giving to the needy and we're not serving our community. We're not feeding the hungry and the sick, and and visiting those in, that are in dire need of assistance. And 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 so the institution can cause us to be distracted from what what we're really called to do. So that's why some people, I guess, have turned away from the church. Now, I'm back to George Barna's book here. I'm going to read to you just some things I've highlighted throughout this book. Uh, I'm starting with chapter, let me look here real quick, chapter 12, and I'm on page 106. I'm just going to read a couple different things. First off, uh, 106, existing churches have a historic decision to make. They can either ignore the revolution and continue business as usual to invest energy in fighting the revolution as as an unbiblical advance, or to look for ways of retaining their identity while cooperating with the revolution as a mark of unity and genuine ministry. Now, when it's talking about the revolution, if you've not uh, been listening to this podcast series until now, I strongly, again, encourage you to go listen to the first three parts of this because it's it's very valuable. And I'm not going to go into too far here to to bring you up to date if you're not willing to go listen to those uh, prior episodes but for just the sake of of talking here when he's talking about the revolution it's talking about the people who have determined that the church alone the institution of the church the local church with a little with the start church with the little c it has not met it is not enough the participation in such is not enough to to give us where to put us where God wants us to be and sometimes there are some revolutionaries who have decided that it can be a hindrance and therefore they have left the church and that's what this revolution is about some who are staying within the church but they are definitely not sticking within the norm of participating in all the programs of the church they kind of participate in the church on some occasion um, usually for community or fellowship or or maybe some portion of ministry, but they also are very actively involved in things that have nothing to do with the programs or established ministries or institution of the local church. (coughs) Excuse me. Now, um, so what he's saying here is that churches can either uh, ignore this, this revolution, they can fight it off as an unbiblical advance, or they can find ways of uh, retaining the church, local church identity while cooperating with the revolution um, and and not be, basically not put it down uh, and and see the value that that it has within it. Uh, further down it says church service attendance will decline as Christians devote time to a wider array of spiritual events. 
Donations to churches will drop because millions of believers will invest their money in other ministry ventures. I will agree with this. Uh, church attendance will decline. In fact, I I probably will not uh, be so adamant about every single week being at the church. I mean, I'm certainly still going to be involved, and in fact, I'll find different ways to involve myself in other aspects, but in no way do I feel this need to legalistically be involved every single week and go through the routine just for the sake of going through the routine. And as far as the money is concerned, I've always felt compelled by God to, to... to not necessarily go by the traditional standards of the church where 10% of your income belongs to the local church <coughs> and then you're you know you give outside of that but my my uh the way that I've always felt compelled is that that everything I have belongs to God and not only including my money but my time and all my resources and that it all belongs to God and I need to give freely as God leads, and as as I have decided in my heart to give, and that is a very biblical model. In my mind, it says, "Give, give according to what you have laid on your heart to give, and give freely and willingly, because God loves a cheerful giver." Another thing it says: the declining number of professional clergy will receive a livable salary from their churches. Now you know what this has been an issue for many years. Um, churches don't, uh, these congregations don't pay pastors the amount of money that they should anymore. Now, some gr- churches are very good at it. Most churches are horrible. And as a person who used to be associate pastor of a small Nazarene church and didn't get paid a penny in salary, but instead had a couple night classes paid for and, uh, $150 per month, um, uh, miscellaneous ministry expense account. I will tell you that it was it was quite frustrating, especially when I was promised. Uh, well, let's just say I was promised a whole lot more before I accepted the position. So, anyway, um, to some this will sound like the great fall of the church. To revolutionaries, it will be the great reawakening of the church. Um, this is just some language from Barna that I I to be honest with you, I got a little bored with with Barna. Uh, through through the ending of his book, he just kept saying the same thing over and over again, and uh, he found new and creative ways of saying it, and, and I found uh, myself bored to tears with the fact that he kept saying that revolutionaries are people who are trying to serve God, love God, they do this, and some of them go to church and some of them don't. That's pretty much the summary of this book, and uh you know, so I'm sitting here thinking to myself, there's only one thing that that I need to hear from George Barna and when it comes to this idea of not attending church, and it's this idea of the Bible clearly defining the structure of the leadership of the church with elders and deacons. And I am sad to announce to you that this book does not mention that whatsoever. In fact, there's a chapter 13 that says, What Critics Will Say. Now, let me go ahead and read to you what this some of this. It says, Critics argue that you must go to church. The major concern about re- this revolution is that millions of its adherents are not affiliated with a local church. 
as described in earlier chapters, revolutionaries distancing themselves from formal congregations does not reflect a willingness to ignore God as much as a passion to deepen the connection to him. In my experience, revolutionaries do not draw other people away from the local church. Theirs is a personal choice based on a genuine desire to be holy and obedient, but finding that need better served outside of the framework of the congregational structures. Now, I want to know how um, you can be obedient when it says that, you know, there, there seems to be some kind of hint in the Bible that says, well, first of all, you've got elders and you've got deacons. Uh, and he describes what kind of individuals are are um, good for such for such positions. And there is some very clear communication about, you know, if your brother sins, then, you know, correct him. If he doesn't sin, go to him and so, you know, with another person. So there will be two or three witnesses. And if still he sins, then bring him before the church. Well, if you're not a part of any kind of congregational structure, what church do you believe bring in? I mean, I understand the universal church, but where do you bring this individual? Where is the accountability? And um, so, but he doesn't, he does not account for that. And, and instead he says, the Bible says mainstream leaders are to be voice. Let's see. Mainstream leaders seem to be voicing three dimensions of concern about believers making a conscious decision to separate from the local church. The first is an appeal to their interpretation of scripture to call yourself a believer, but leave the local church is unbiblical. Now, I, I would not, I would not go so far. I, I think believers can very much be a believer in Christ and not be a part of a local church. And I think of missionaries that go out um, and establish ministries where they're involved in uh, serving the needs of people, and they may or may not be involved in some kind of local church. Um, but anyway, he says one angry pastor said said that if you call yourself a believer but leave the local church, it's unbiblical. He says that this this uh, angry pastor said the Bible clearly teaches us that we are not to forsake the assembling of our assembling of believers to worship God. Stri scripture also commands us to be accountable to the church and to be under the leadership of his anointed leaders. Jesus Christ established the local church. Abandoning it is displeasing to God. Now, Barna <clears throat> kind of answers that. He says, that conversation and several others like it pushed me to return to the Bible to find out what God actually says about the church. He says, I discovered some interesting things. For, for instance, the word church appears in the Bible. It refers to people that are called out, in parentheses, from society to be the full expression of Jesus Christ on earth. That reminds me of what a revolutionary is all about, rejecting the norm and paying the cost to stand part, apart from the crowd to honor God. In fact, the, when the Bible admonishes us to gather together, it does not imply that we should that should be a church service or a congregational event. <clears throat> now, I will agree with him that it doesn't have to be what we have the church to, today. In fact, one of the, let me just continue to read here. He says, in fact, when the Bible admonishes us to gather together, it does not imply that we should be, uh, that that should be a church service or a congregational event. And let us not neglect our meeting together 
as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now as the, we see the day of his return da- drawing near. Such, in, in, such interaction could be in a worship service or at Starbucks. It might be satisfied through a Sunday school class or dinner in a fellow believer's home. The same God who is more concerned. Let's see. The same God who is more concerned about what's in our hearts than it, than about mindless observance of meaningless routines refuses to impose specific regulations about our religious practices. He wants us to use creative ability. Our creative abilities. He's entrusted to us to express in our own way how much we love Him and how much we want to glorify Him. In fact. There is no verse in scripture that links the concepts of worshiping God and a church meeting. Uh, That's the end of the sentence there. The Bible does not tell us that worship must happen in a church sanctuary. I agree with that wholly. And therefore we must act and that we must actively be associated with a local church. Now, I don't know about that. Uh, in fact, all the letters are written to, and I guess they are not local churches that, as much as they're ch- the church that, or the called out ones are the saints within a city uh, that are the church. So I'm still up in the air on this, but it simply tells us that we must worship God regularly, uh, purely in spirit and truth. Take particular note of the fact that Jesus dismissed the organized worship of his day, a farce, and intimated that we ought not be so limited to how and when we worship God. See Mark 7, 7. When the Samaritan woman asked about worship practices and places, uh, Jesus responded bluntly that the place, let's see, that, that the place and even the form of worship meant less to God than the heart and commitment. He noted that the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. But the time is coming, indeed is now here, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. He was highlighting the same foolish irrelevancies that the tri- uh, that the traditionalists argue about today. Now, what he didn't address, though, in this is this idea of accountability and and the the leadership that God has set in place for pastors, elders, and deacons. But he goes on to say, and let's not let's be loving let's be loving but honest about what really goes on within the body of Christ today. No informed Christian leader could make a straight-faced argument that involve that involvement in a local church necessarily produces a more robust spiritual life than that seen among seen among revolutionaries. I would have to completely agree with that. In fact, I would say that there there seems to be a whole lot more backslidden Christians in the local church today <coughs> who are apathetic, who have no desire to serve God, who who are basically just there because they want to feel good about themselves or whatever reason. And, um, yeah, I, I would agree that, that just going to church is not producing the the mature believers in Christ that, that it, we should. Uh, Barnett continues, We must also address one other reality. The Bible never describes church the way that we have configured it. The Bible goes to great lengths to tell us the principles for living the theology for understand, and theology for understanding. However, it provides very little guidance in, the ter- in terms of methods and structures 
we must use to make these those principles and insights prevail in our lives. It seems God doesn't really care how we honor and serve him as long as his as he is our number one is number one in our lives and practices and the practices are consistent with his parameters. If a local church facilitates that kind of life, then it is good. And if a person is able to live godly a godly life outside of a congregational based faith, then that is also good. Now the question again is that some of the parameters that God did give is this accountability to other believers, to the church, the accountability to the church, and who were to carry those things out? And it says, call for the elders of the church, and and is it just the older people in the faith? It, it says, but it speaks specifically of a position of elder and deacon, and that they are supposed to be a certain type of individual who has a who has the character that can stand above reproach. I mean, there is some very clear positions within what seems to be the foundation of an institution that George Barna does not address in this book. True revolutionaries agree that that being isolated from other believers, for example, or example, the church, note the capital C, is unbiblical. So basically, true revolutionaries agree that being isolated from other believers is unbiblical. However, they may not be in, they may not be integrated into a formal church congregation. They, they, while they may not be, they are not isolated from the church. They may not belong to a specific collection of saints that engages in routines and customs at a particular location and under the leadership of an individual or group. However, neither are they spiritual untouchables who have no connection to the global church. But yet, do they have accountability? And that is what I see missing in this book. Once again, I'm, I'm just really hitting on this. The Let's see here. Basically, there is there's a whole lot more that Barna says. And I think, I, I think that pretty much I, I've shared with you what I think about it. Here, here's where I'm going to lay down and tell you where I, where I fall. I believe that the church today with its Sunday morning, Sunday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night thing. I think it's completely man-made, and it's an institution built on tradition and routine that most of it started out probably with some very good intentions and had been very effective in a time where our culture and our society was much different than what it is today. And I believe that Sunday morning, Sunday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, program-based church with a campus that people come into for equipping and encouragement, I believe it can still fulfill the parameters and the desires for godliness and, and encouragement and spiritual growth that God wants to happen. I, I believe that traditional program-based churches can still be good for a very large group of people in the United States. However, there I believe with all my heart that this method, this traditional method of doing church is not prescribed by the Bible. The the way that we have our leadership, I believe that you know, the way that every church seems to have the same look and feel, you know, that every church has a sanctuary, every church seems to have an altar and and a, a pedestal where a preacher preaches and 
seats out in the area where the congregation sits and is preached to and and Sunday school classes for the adults and and or uh, children go for biblical instruction and you know those things are not prescribed by the Bible those things are things that we came up with to help us you know generate a method of of spiritual disciplines in our culture today at least for me I am not I am not the type of individual that thrives on Sunday morning instruction for daily living I I find myself very much more media driven uh, very much more community community driven and very much more communicative driven Uh, what I mean by that is I would like to involve myself in conversations with people about spiritual truths than to hear things just taught to me every single week. Now, I don't mind going and listening to a sermon that is training and teaching and 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 admonishing and and sometimes just downright in your face that says, "Hey, you need to you need to evaluate your own life as it regard as it is uh, concerning this." Uh, command in scripture. I, I do not mind it, but is it something that I need to have every single week, like some kind of clockworks, like some kind of routine, you know, get up in the morning, brush your teeth, blah, 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 you know, go through the whole, I mean, can there not be some kind of change up? Do we have to go to church every Sunday and hear a sermon or can we go to church one week and just have worship? Can we go to church one week and just hang out and, and have conversations with other believers? Can we go to church one week and just have all kinds of other things? And so that's where I'm coming from. Anyway, I, I apologize. I just paused that for just a second there. My uh, dad came into the office here and uh, had to stop in and say something. But anyway, that's where I fall on this is is that I believe that that the local church needs to be a little bit more flexible and 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 needs to the the people need to be so so much less um defensive of the legalistic requirements of attending every single thing that the church puts together it it just doesn't make sense and and so you know I started out I'm going to adjust my microphone here I started out this um series with some of the things that I hate about the church. And uh, some of those things that I hate about the church had been the fact that people can be so careless and callous and they can have hardened hearts and they can say mean and nasty and awful things that are ungodly and are discouraging and what what I hate is that those people can exist in the church in positions of leadership and they can seemingly have everybody else fooled about how godly their lives seem. But at the same time, they absolutely do not measure up anywhere near the level of what God is calling us to do and be as Christians. And I can wholeheartedly understand and empathize with a whole nation of people who hate the church, who mock it, who call everybody that attends them a hypocrite and everything like that. But where I fall down on this is that 
while there are those churches out there, there are some churches today that are that understand that we're not perfect, that we don't have the organizational structure down just perfect yet, but we are an imperfect people living in community with one another, giving each other the freedoms to express our faith in ways that we feel God calling us to, to do so. And yet at sometimes we fail miser- miserably in allowing other people to express their faith in those ways. Sometimes we can say mean and spiteful and hurtful things, but it does not it does not do away with the fact that we are called to live in community with one another as a family. And I think that that's the danger of this whole I I hate the church. I hate the local church, the institution of the local church thing. Now, I am all about investigating other methods of doing ministry as a local church. Um, you know, I'm all about getting rid of the local building, we, this campus, this structure. I'm all about getting rid of the Sunday school and the, all these other things. I, there's, a, there's a church that my friend Kim belongs to that she found after she became a Christian. And, and this church is, is unique in that uh, it has very much the same kind of statement of beliefs and everything that, that many of the churches that, that I agree with theologi- theologically have, but yet they do things differently. And uh, I think it's once a month, and I, I could be wrong. I haven't investigated this probably as, as much as I should have. Uh, but from what I understand, once a month they have what's called a festival, and they gather together in a public place, and and the entire local body of believers comes together and celebrates in more of a festival-like fashion, and they do have their head pastor who will who will come and speak to the entire group of people, but it but sometimes it's just an outdoor fun event. And 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 they're with us. It, it, it's just different, but yet it's an expression of of faith and the local community, the local church, in a different way than the, what's so traditional today. It's not in it. And sometimes they'll move from one location to the next, and and that's so much different. But yet it still maintains that accountability. They they still have ministries. They still have. Uh, groups of individuals, groups of believers that meet and encourage one another in each other's homes, and 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 I'm just saying that that where I come down on this is that I don't hate the local church. I hate what the local church legalistically tries to carry out, and I'm so tired and sick and bored of the routine that that makes me feel like I am just punching in a time card. On Sunday morning, I'm sick and tired of that. I want to live out a vibrant faith, lived in community with other people, but yet I still need and desire and want to have the accountability to the spiritual authority that God has placed in my life. And I don't see myself being able to carry out and submitting to the authority of God through other believers in Christ as leaders as God has placed in my life without some kind of connection to some kind of organized body of believers called the local church. Does that make sense? 
Now, George Barnett would disagree with me. That's okay. But when it comes down to it, I do not hate the local church. I hate many things about it. But where I come down on this is that I believe that the local church is still, um, I, I, I think it, I think what I thought a long time ago, and that is this, if you ever find a perfect church, you need to leave right away because you'll mess it up. Every church is made up of imperfect people. Every group of elders is a, is a board of elders of imperfect people. Every pastor who preaches a sermon is an imperfect person. You know, we are not going to find Eden before Christ comes back. We are not going to be able to restore the church to pre-fallen state. It is, we are fallen people. We are not perfect. And you know what? We can't throw out the baby with the bathwater. But yet we can definitely... Take the baby, which is the community, which is which is the uh, accountability. We can take the the theology that 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 the the theology that's not laws that have been turned into theology, but we can take take the principles and the values that are taught in Scripture, and we can dir- dump out this dirty old bathwater for the people who are not being whose needs are not met spiritually by the nine to five or the Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Tuesday night, everything at the church, uh, smorgasbord that they have. And, and we can get some new bath water. And that's where, that's where I am. I desire to be a part of a fresh new community of people that is the local church, but it is unique. It is different. It's vibrant. And it's, and it's, it's very well, position to to meet the meet the needs of the community locally and and not forsake those globally but to, to not expect every single person to buy into every single program that ever comes out of that local body of believers that that people are free to express their faith in ways that are not even directly connected to that local body of believers but where every person who has agreed to be a part of that body of believers is accountable to the leadership that God has placed in that church. That's where I desire to be. And that's the church I want to be in. And I'm very thankful to God, knowing that that things are taking place that are way outside of my control, where I can see God forming just such a community somewhere, somehow. I feel like in, in the very near future, I may be a part of a church that I love. And, and that will be greater than anything that I can ever imagine. And I'm looking forward to that day. So, everybody, I thank you for joining me on this journey. Um, it's, it's been, I didn't know where, I, I didn't know that I would end here. I didn't, where I, w- I didn't know where I was going to be when I started this out. And uh, I feel good. I, f- I feel that this has been a growing experience for me. I am not very happy with the book Revolution. Uh, it basically, this thing could have been 20 pages long and delivered all the content that was in it. So, um, I, for those of you who purchased the book, I apologize. Uh, I don't think it was a very good value at all, 
But uh, if if anything, and if it helped at least have you question your own faith and involvement in your local church in such a way that you reevaluate your faith, and is it more, are you leaning more on the programs and procedures of the church to kind of just get you by, or are you stepping out in faith and doing things that are calling you are called to do by God and gifted to do without fear of somebody within the church putting you down for it um, or telling you that you don't do it with excellence. <laughs> uh, so um, I want to just share with you guys um, that that there is no perfect church, no matter where you go. In, 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 in this church that I hope to be a part of in the very near future, it's not going to be perfect. I'm still going to get angry. Uh, people who have hurt me in the past that will be a part of this will probably hurt me again in the future. And, you know, who knows? I'll probably end up saying mean and spiteful and hurtful things to somebody else without thinking about it in my own selfishness and my own sinful fallen state. And yet, grace will be needed. So uh, join me with uh, a little word of prayer here. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you and give you praise for this journey of faith that you have uh, had me walk down. Lord, at times I can be very selfish. I can be very lazy. I can be very apathetic. At ver- other times, Lord, I can be very devoted to you wholly and think of you above and beyond anything else, and I can give all glory and praise to you. And Lord, sometimes even in those heightened stages of my life where I should be more mature, Sometimes when I'm in those state of in that state of mind and I'm and I'm I find myself doing well, I find myself being critical of those who are not doing so well or at least not doing so in the same way that I do them. And Lord, that isn't that what I have stated that I hate about the church is when other people look at me because I don't do the things that they do to worship you and God, help me to understand that that the church is not perfect. The church is not you. The church is the group of people who have been called out by you to be your representatives in this world. And sometimes we fail miserably. Sometimes I question why you would call us to do that. And uh, yet you do. And and I, I would hate to see people take this exodus away from uh, accountability and this exodus away from uh, the the ability to to be a part of an organization where there is some kind of structure of elders and deacons that that you clearly have have set up in in scripture and and so until otherwise until I I have some kind of evidence otherwise I'm not going to to forsake the the local church in some way shape or form in my life and at at other times Lord I, I'm going to be very much, uh, involved in a in a personal uh, journey of faith with other believers, where I will rebuke all traditions that have no meaning, that have no value, that do not uh, coincide with what leads me to a closer walk with you. And and if and if a weekend week in week out same old worship service is not uh, benefiting me spiritually in my worship of you and my getting closer to you and corporately I'm not adding anything to that then then perhaps maybe I'll I'll go and allow my children to take part of the the um the Sunday school program that will supplement what I'm personally doing and need to be doing 
Uh, and, and maybe I'll just take that time to go in a quiet place within the, the building while my kids are there and, and pray or, or to, to, to read a book or, or to do something that, that really helps me to focus on your presence. And, and at other times, Lord, maybe there'll be this desire and, and, and leading and prompting of your spirit for me to go and, and to sense your presence in the midst of something that, that maybe isn't necessarily um, all about me. And, and help me to just not be selfish. And uh, Lord, I pray for all those who have listened to this podcast and this series. I, I pray that, that they will not get off easy. I pray that they will, they will be prompted by your spirit to, to maybe not go down this road per se, but whatever it is, whatever journey of a spiritual renewal and investigation they need to be going down, Lord, I pray that they will begin to ask you, what is it in their lives that they need to investigate? Whether or not it is of their own doing or, or whether or not it's, uh, are they fulfilling what you have called them to do in life? or in ministry. Um, Lord, help us to, to live for you. Help me to not get sucked into the waves of this world, but help me to never lose my impact in the world. It's in Jesus' name I thank you, and I give you praise. And I'm so glad that this series is now over, and I don't have to go around telling people I'm doing a podcast called Why I Do the Church, Why I Hate the Church. And uh, But I'm glad I've been here, and I've, I'm glad that we did this. And I thank you for speaking to my heart through this time. And uh, I thank you for breaking me free from the chains of some legalistic ways of thinking, Lord. Help me to, to spread the love and the joy that comes from just knowing you in your presence. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.